continuing the message from last weekend and talking about three more things we need to understand about temptation. This message is the sixth in the series, I Will Overcome. The message is entitled, Keep Your Guard, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. I want to conclude a series of messages we started several weeks ago entitled, I Will Overcome, and I want to continue the theme that we started last weekend about keeping your spiritual guard. How do we do this? When you and I came into God's kingdom, when Jesus came into your heart and life, He came in with a plan, a purpose for you, and He defined this in John chapter 10, verse 10, where He says, the thief, that's the devil, He comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I want you to experience more life with me than you could ever experience apart from me. There is a more abundant life for you and me. Jesus has more for your life. To experience that more, we have to actually cooperate with God. We have to do our part. It doesn't happen automatically. There are choices that we make, decisions along the way that will put us in a position to experience that more. One of those decisions is what we're looking at in this particular series, the decision to say, I will overcome. The things that have held me back and maybe limited my life up to this point, I have some, maybe some habits that I haven't broken, some things that are part of my past that I've never really gotten beyond. There's some limitations that have restricted me, but I am making the choice, I will overcome these things. I'm starting fresh, I am overcoming. I will be an overcomer. Of course, the Bible teaches us there's great blessing, and in fact, it attracts the blessing of God when we make that decision to say, I will overcome, and in this series, we've talked about some of the things that we need to overcome and some of the ways that we go about overcoming, and one of those things we must learn to overcome to experience the more life that Jesus has for us is to learn how to overcome something called temptation. How do you conquer temptation? Because temptation will obviously get you in trouble if you don't know how to handle it the right way. And so last weekend, we started talking about this whole idea of temptation. What does the Bible teach us about it? We began to understand that temptation is something that happens to everybody. You never become so mature in your spiritual life that you don't experience temptation. Everybody faces it. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin, but it's something that can lead you to sin, and it always is attracted to or affects the weaknesses of your life. And so we talked a bit about those things last weekend. I want to talk today about three things the Bible teaches us, continuing from last weekend, about temptation. So let's just dive into the lesson today. The first thing I want to talk about this weekend is that temptation offers false answers to real and true needs in your life. The way temptation works is it comes along and it will offer you a false answer to something that is actually a legitimate or true need. To understand temptation, it's helpful to go back actually to the beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve and put Adam and Eve in this wonderful paradise called the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful environment. Everything was perfect there. There was only one requirement given to Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, I'm going to place a tree here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I don't want you to eat from that tree. You can eat of all the other trees, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because this will produce death in you. Don't disobey me. So the reason God put that one tree in the garden was to give humanity, Adam and Eve, the opportunity for a decision. They had to choose whether they were going to follow God or not. So there was a choice for them. And so they had to choose every day. We obey God. But there's this tree that's in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And into the story comes the devil, the serpent. We're going to read about it here in just a moment. 
Satan, having been cast out of heaven, comes down to attack the human, the humanity that God has created and tries to draw them into temptation. Let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now the servant was more crafty, it's an important phrase there, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, or certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The Bible addresses here, describes the serpent, who is Satan, coming into this environment, as the source of Adam and Eve's temptation. And what actually Satan does is Satan tries to, attempts to cause Adam and Eve to question God's word to them, to question God's way. Did God really say, is this the only way to get what you want in life? Do you think that God's way is the only way? Maybe your way is better or maybe my way is better. So there was this moment that Satan began to try to open up options that were contrary to what God had spoken to Adam and Eve in very clear instructions. And that's the way the enemy works in our lives. He comes along and he taps into a desire in your life and he tries to tell you there's a better way than God's way. Why don't you do it your way? Why don't you do it the way of the world around you? Why don't you follow your passions? Why don't you follow your feelings? Why don't you follow whatever it is that may be pulling you in some direction opposite of God? But there's a need that is being attracted in a way that pulls you in an illegitimate way, in a way that is contrary to what God's will is for your life and God's word is to your life. And the serpent did this in a very subtle fashion. The Bible says he was more crafty than all of the other animals in the garden. He was crafty, he was deceiving, he was tricky in the way that he went about the process. In your life, you have all kind of needs. We all do. You have the need for provision, you have the need for love, you have the need for security, we have the need for belonging, you have the, all kind of needs. Every person here, you have lots of needs in your life. We all are needy in certain ways. And the temptation of Satan when he comes along in our lives is to try to get us to go after something illegitimate that is dangerous and damaging to us to fulfill a legitimate need. And I want to remind you, as I did last weekend, that there is no need in your life that God cannot fill. There's not a single need. If you have a need for love, God is love. If you have a need for provision, God is a source of provision for your life. If you have a need of belonging, there's no greater belonging than to know that you belong to the family of God. But Satan comes along and he'll tap into a real need and try to offer you a solution that is false and ultimately destructive to your life. Adam and Eve experienced this. You know the story. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the consequences. Obviously, we know what they are as we read about them in Genesis 3. And I'll talk more about them in just a moment. But legitimate needs in your life can become vulnerable points to you unless you look to God to supply them. It was the moment that Adam and Eve looked away from God and looked to the serpent that they got into trouble. The second thing I want to teach you today about temptation is the Bible teaches us that temptation is always attractive. It's always attractive. 
I want to remind you of the definition that I gave you last week of temptation. Temptation is the enticement or the appeal to do, say, or think anything that is contrary to God's word, God's will, or God's ways. I'll give that to you again. Temptation is an appeal or an attraction to do anything that is contrary to three things, God's word, God's will, and God's way. So let's say those three things together. Anything that's, a, that's opposite to God's word, God's will, and God's ways. So Satan comes along and he says, why don't you do it this way? Disobey God. Did God really say? Or why don't you do your will rather than God's will? I mean, why does God get to tell you everything? Why, don't you, why can't you do what you want to do? And then God's, God's ways, we have principles that God has given us, and we can violate those so temptation can lead us away from God's word, God's will, and God's ways. But it's always an attraction away from that. It's always attractive. To understand this attraction that temptation has, I'm going to read to you a story that most of you are familiar with, at least you've heard certain parts of the story. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and as, as soon as I begin to read it, I'm sure that you will recognize some part of the story. Let me begin in verse number 1, 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It's a very important statement that I will come back to in a moment. David, where did he stay? In Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent one, someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. You know this to be the darkest moment in the life of this man named David. A man who was known as a man after God's own heart, a man that was known as the writer of many of the Psalms, a man that loved God. He was the second king of Israel who did incredible things for God, but yet in this moment, David fell prey to temptation. How did it happen? How did it happen to a guy like this? And I think that if we'll study David and see his mistakes, it will help us to learn from these mistakes and to see the attractive, alluring element of temptation and the end result that it brings. It will help us to be protected in our lives. So let's learn some lessons from David's mistakes. You know, it's a whole lot better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than from your own. If I can learn from your mistakes, it saves me the pain. So if I can learn from David's mistakes, it'll save me pain in my life. So what do we learn from David? Well, let's walk through the story and we'll see what we learn. First of all, the Bible says it was the spring of the year when kings would go out to battle. But instead of going out to fight the war, where was David? He remained where? In Jerusalem. That's so important. The winter months that had been rainy and dark and gloomy had passed and it was springtime again and 
During the winter, oftentimes what would happen is there would be encroachments of the enemy on your territory. And so the kings would go out to battle in the springtime when the clouds had cleared and the sun was out again. And they would, they would reestablish the proper boundaries of their kingdom. And so they're pushing back the enemy. They're dealing with enemy forces they haven't been able to deal with for a period of time. And so when the springtime came this particular year, instead of David saying, I'm going to go out and do what I should be doing as a king, I'm going to stay back home because I'm attracted to the comfort of my home environment. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to put the effort in. And so he yielded to the attraction of comfort and leisure and idleness. See, had David been out doing what he should have been doing, he would have never fallen prey to the very thing he did. He should have been on the battlefield. He was back home living in the comfort of the palace. And so many times in life, that's the beginning point of moving toward a fall in your life, that when you begin to kind of pull back and you get comfortable and your guard goes down, you're attracted to the comfort of the life that you're living and you're not on guard anymore, you're not actively engaging in the work that you need to be engaging in, that leisurely mindset, comfortable mindset can get you in trouble. There's an old adage that says, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And idleness in your life can get you into a lot of trouble. Then the Bible says that one night, David's in his palace. He should have been out battling, but in, instead he's, he's at home. And so one night, don't know for what reason, but he gets up and goes to the rooftop. When you go to Jerusalem, you'll see that Jerusalem sits in a high place, and there's a high uh, hill there that it sits upon, and Mount Zion, or the city of David, is there close by, and so David's, uh, David's palace would have been on a high point of the city, and David knew when he went to his rooftop, he would have had one of the highest locations in the city, if not the highest, and so there he is, capable of being able to see. He knew what he could see from the rooftop. Not only is he in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he took advantage of a situation and put himself in a vulnerable moment. He knew that if I walk on that rooftop, I can see things. If I go on that rooftop, I can see stuff that I really shouldn't be seeing. But he was aware of that. And of course, when he gets up on the rooftop, the very thing happens. He sees Bathsheba and there's this attraction. He saw, in essence, what he went up to look for, I believe. I would submit that, that he was looking for trouble. Didn't realize that perhaps in his own process, but he was looking for trouble. So he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, should have been doing something different with his life, but instead he goes to the roof, he starts looking around, he sees Bathsheba. Now, had he been wise, what would he have done? He said, I got to go back to bed. I don't want to take this any further. I need to shut this off right now. I should have never been out here at this time of night. I'm going back. See, I want you to see that temptation never completely drags you down in one big step. It's one step at a time, one step at a time, one luring along at a time. And before long, you've been taken captive. And so David is taking these steps. So he sees Bathsheba, and instead of saying, oh, i got to go back downstairs, I need to get a handle on this, he sends to Adam ask about her. He didn't send for her initially. He says, somebody tell me who she is. It wasn't go get her first. It was, who is that lady? Who is she? And of course, the report came back in terms of who she was. And the next step that David said was go get her. And then after the go get her was the act of adultery that transpired But what I want you to see is that it wasn't all in one fell swoop. It was step by step 
thy step until he stepped into the trap and was trapped by sin. That was, that's the attraction of temptation. It never gets you in one fell swoop. It gets you by little points of attraction. Last weekend, I was talking to you about James chapter 1, and I talked to you about the fishing analogy. Remember the fishing analogy, those of you who were here last week? By the way, I need to digress just for a moment because I really shocked some of you last week. I need to clear something up, all right? I talked last week about going fishing, right? Remember the story? Anybody remember the story of me going fishing? You don't remember the story? Good. Maybe I never, don't need to clear it up then? You want me to clear it up or not? You do? Okay. And I talked about fishing for tuna and dolphin. And some of you thought, oh, he's going after Fisher. He is a criminal. Okay, no. I did not fish for porpoises. There's a dolphin fish also known as mahi-mahi, okay? And so that's what I was fishing for. So those of you that accused me of catching flipper, I'm innocent, okay? Okay? I didn't do that. Okay, look it up on the internet called mahi-mahi, dolphin fish. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad to know my pastor's not a criminal. Go and tell him, I'm glad to know my pastor's not a criminal, okay? But I talked about the fact that they throw this, the fisherman throws the bait out and, and knows how to work the bait, and that fish comes along, and little by little it's lured in and bites and takes the hook, and before long it's in the boat, and it's dead meat. That's how the enemy works in your life. There's an attraction, and so it's kind of a subtle pull step by step in the journey, and so we understand that it's very attractive. Sin never shows you the ugly side. It never shows you the ugly side. It always appeals to the beauty of something. It always dresses up as attractive and always dresses up in appealing clothing to try to draw you in. The third thing I want to talk about today is that giving in to temptation always brings painful consequences. Always does. The Bible doesn't pull any punches when it comes to describing the consequences of sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. James 1, 15. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Both of those passages talk about the death that comes as a result of sin. If you want to see the consequences of yielding to sin, all you have to do is study some characters in the Bible. You can see very clear consequences of what happens when you go down this, what seems to be a primrose path that leads you into something that traps you in your life. Let me give you a couple of examples of people in Scripture who battled with sin, yielded to it, and suffered the consequences thereof. Let me talk, first of all, about a guy by the name of Esau. The story's found in Genesis 25. You can write the reference down. You can study it on your own, but I'm just going to tell you the story. Esau was a twin. He had a brother, twin brother named Jacob. So Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest of the, of the twins, born first. And because he was born first as a twin, back in those days, they would receive what's called the father's birthright, the father's blessing, the father's birthright. It was a blessing for his future. It was very unique. It was a very coveted thing to have, to have the birthright from your father. In terms of personalities, Esau was uh, an outdoors guy. He loved to go hunting and fishing and doing those kind of things. Jacob, his brother, his twin brother, was more domesticated. He liked to kind of hang around the house. He was kind of into culinary things, enjoyed making stuff around the house. So they were just very different personalities. And the Bible says that one day that Esau had been out in the fields hunting. He comes back home and he's extremely hungry. And so he walks in to that kitchen, if you will, and there is Jacob. And Jacob has been making something that smells so good. I mean, Esau said, this is awesome. I'm so hungry. I want a bowl of that. So in essence, Jacob had some soup, and Esau wanted it. And Jacob 
coveting the birthright that Esau had, said to Esau, Esau, I have a deal for you. I will give you a bowl of my soup if you will give me your birthright. Now stop there for a moment. Think about that. Birthright, blessing for your future, bowl of soup. Do you all agree that's a no-brainer? Right? Okay. If you're in your right mind, what are you going to choose? You can get a bowl of soup anytime, okay? You can't go back and get that birthright. There's no way to get Once it's gone, it's gone, okay? You give it up, it's over with. It is your future. It is the blessing for your future from your father. And there in that moment, here is Esau and his, his attraction to the food, his sensual desire for something to satisfy him. It was a, was hunger, is hunger a legitimate need? Of course it was. But there again, you see the illegitimate approach to trying to fulfill a legitimate need. That's what's going on. Okay? And so he made the deal with Jacob and he gave Jacob his birthright for one bowl of soup. And Hebrews 12 tells us he could never get it back again. He cried and wept bitterly because of what he had done. Let me tell you another story about a guy who found himself trapped by sin, the consequences that came. You may not be familiar with this story. It's a story in, in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. If you want to write down the reference, it's worth, worth reading this week and reflecting on. But it's a story of a man by the name of Achan. Does anyone remember the name Achan in the Bible? A few of you do. Well, let me just kind of give you this beautiful story. Actually, it's an ugly story, but beautiful lesson for us in the story of Achan. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan River and they had to take the land. They had to fight battles. And the first city that they, uh, they had to fight in was a city called Jericho. And God gave them a strategy to take the city of Jericho. They were to march around the walls. You know the story and how the walls came down and they went into the city. But God said this. He said, when you go into Jericho, you're going to see a lot of beautiful stuff there. You're going to see gold and all kind of beautiful stuff. Don't touch any of it. It's not yours. It belongs to me because this is the first city in the land and so the first fruits always go to God. Amen? God said, it's mine. It's going to go in the treasury of the Lord. It's the tithe of the land. It belongs to me. Don't touch any of it. Now later on, as you capture other places, I'll let you take the plunder, but don't you touch anything in Jericho. It belongs in the treasury of the Lord. See, God's part always comes first. When my wife and I get a paycheck, the first, the first check we write or the first gift that we give out of our, our, our paycheck is not to Pepco, it's to God, right? Why? Because I owe everything to Him. How about you? Amen? We, we owe it all. So my, my first 10% goes to God. Why? Because I know that that's my commitment to God. I'm going to pay God. I'm going to communicate to God by love and trust in Him. And so God says, that's my tithe. That's my land. That belongs to me. It goes into the treasury of the Lord. And so they go in and they take the land. And one guy by the name of Achan looks around and he sees some beautiful garments. And he sees some gold bars. He's attracted to them. He begins to say, you know, maybe God won't miss those things. Maybe I can take them and nobody will know about it. And so Achan got some garments, beautiful garments, and got some gold bars. And he took them surreptitiously without anyone knowing back to his tent and hid them there thinking that he was getting away with it. He disobeyed because something attracted him and he did the wrong thing. Now, let's fast forward 
a few days, a little bit further down the line here. Achan thinks he's okay, everything's right, everything's good, nobody knows about it until they go out to battle the next time. They're to go out to take another city. The city is the city of Ai. So they go out to battle again. Israel is expecting to have a great victory. Instead of having a great victory, they have a horrible defeat. And so Joshua, the leader, comes back to God and says, God, what's going on here? We, we thought, you know, you were with us in all this. Why, why are we facing this, 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 this defeat now? And God spoke and said, there's sin in the camp. There's somebody that did what I told them not to do in Jericho. And because of Achan's sin, some of Israel's army, uh, some of Israel's men lost their lives. And now God brings it to the surface. And Ai, Achan, ends up losing his life as well because of the defeat at Ai. And what happens is that God brings it out. See, your sin finds you out. You think you can hide it, but you can't hide it because God knows it, even though no one else may know it. If you're trying to live in it, it always brings destruction to your life. And so AI's life ended in a short, destructive way because of sin. We could talk about so many stories, people like Samson and people, as we talked about David, and people like Judas in the New Testament who lost his life because he was covetous, because he yielded to temptation. We could talk about Peter and how Peter denied the Lord. There's story after story after story in Scripture of the painful consequences of sin. And I want to conclude today by giving you six reasons why you don't want to sin. Six reasons why you don't want to fall prey to temptation. Number one, because sin always, it always hurts you and hurts other people around you. Anytime you sin, there's a pain that goes along with it. The second thing I want to note for you is that sin will disappoint you. Sin is very disappointing. The pleasures of sin only last for a short period of time. They disappoint. To disappoint means that you had an expectation that was not fulfilled. That's what a disappointment is. And sin will always hold something out to say, this is going to really make you happy. This is going to be phenomenal. And then you do it. You go against God's word, God's will, and God's way. And you get there and you realize it's not as pretty as I thought it was. It looked a lot better from the outside than it really is on the inside. It reminds me that over the years, my wife and I have... Uh, as we've tried to do little trips here and there, sometimes we'll get a brochure from a place or we'll go online and look at a, at a, at a place somewhere and we look at the pictures and say, wow, isn't that beautiful? Can you, we can just picture ourselves by that pool or by that beach. And so we see all these glorious pictures. And on, on a few occasions, we've made reservations and gone to some of those places and they don't look anything like that when you get there, okay? And you get there and say, I, I thought it looked a lot different than this on, on the web, didn't you? Yeah, you know, we got to live with the rats now, okay? We didn't realize that this was this, this place because, you know, there's something called Photoshop, right? And so these Photoshop images are there and they present it out in such an attractive way. But you get there, you paid the bill, and you realize, wow, we got to live with the rats. That's exactly the way it is with sin. Sin paints this beautiful picture out here. You want to buy into it. You want that thing so badly. And you go after this. This is awesome. This is going to make me happy. This is going to be wonderful. This is phenomenal. Everything I've been looking for is going to meet the needs in my life. And you get there and you're living with the rats. Like, I didn't know it was going to be like this. It disappoints. Next thing that we see about sin is that it erodes our character. When you and I sin, it breaks our soul apart. It causes us to fear and to live in isolation from God and others. Take a look at Adam and Eve in the garden, how they were separated from God and from one another. It discredits God's name. It brings disgrace upon the name of God. It reduces our usefulness to God. Let me talk about that one briefly today. 
one of my primary objectives as a pastor is to try to help you to understand how important you are to God. Every person is important to God. You are important to God. I want you to say with me this morning, I am important to God. Say it together. I am important to God. Say it again. I am important to God. And God wants to use you. Our world, the world that we live in, needs God. Amen? Would you agree with me on that? Do you, you see the troubled world around us? What does our world need? Come on, answer the question. What does our world need? Our world needs God, okay? How is the world going to get God? The world gets God through God's people, okay? That's how God, how God works sovereignly. He works in His omnipresence in the world, but primarily God works in the world through His church or through His people. And so we are God's instruments in our world. That's why wherever you are in your business, in your profession, in whatever job you have, you're not just there to do a job. You're there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You've been put there by God to have an influence for good in that environment. And so you are important to God. And God wants to use you. God wants you to be one of the vessels through, who, through whom His work is done. That He advances His work through people like you. You say, well, I'm just ordinary. I'm not very special. Well, all of God's work is done through ordinary people. Okay? That's what God loves to, loves to do. He loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things through them. And so we're all candidates to be used by God. But if you want to be used by Him, you and I need to be a clean vessel. If I had a big pipe up here today and we wanted to push high-pressure water or air through that pipe so that the same volume that went in on the front end would come out on the back end of that pipe, what we must do is make sure that everything is clean on the inside of the pipe, that there's not any obstructions inside that pipe because any obstructions would limit what went in would not come out. There would be some obstruction in the process. Well, the same is true for you and me. When God wants his life to flow through you, there needs to be the removal of the obstructions in us so that his life can flow most effectively through us so we can be used by him. And there's no greater joy other than our own salvation than the joy of being used by God to bless and help other people. Amen? That's why, by the way, we're encouraging you this week to invite people to the mercy tree because as you invite them to come or one of the Easter services, you're going to be used by God, and there are many of you that will invite someone that will come, and they will accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, and you will have been the bridge that brought them to Jesus. It's incredible to think, but God wants to use you, and sin restricts that, it affects that. And finally, sin robs us of help, and it robs us of strength. I've watched people over the years, and I've known people who've been robbed of their own physical health, and robbed of spiritual health and strength, emotional health and strength, psychological health and strength, because they've fallen prey to temptation. They've not learned how to fight that battle. But giving into consequences, giving into sin always brings consequences. Some of them are minor, some of them are major, some of them are immediate, and some of them are delayed, but they always bring some consequence to your life. I want to conclude by making one last statement here. Actually, two statements that will kind of wrap up together. Number one is be on guard. Amen? Amen? Be on guard. Because there's a pathway of attraction that you can find yourself in that will snare you. Be on guard. And the other part of that statement that I want to give you is this. If you've been entrapped already, some of you are saying, you know what? I've kind of already gone down that road. I'm, far, I'm too far down there now. Is there any hope for me? The answer is yes, there's always hope for you in Jesus. Isn't that good to know? 
that you can turn around today and you can come back to that place with God because he stands with open arms ready to give you a fresh start. Let's pray together this, this morning. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so thankful that you've spoken to us today. We are grateful for the teaching and instruction of the word of God. And we ask you to help us to really think about this message. We pray it would come to our attention in very key moments of our life. And Lord, help it to change us and help it to, to, to help us to be the people that you want us to be, we pray. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who's feeling like they've already gone down a pathway too far. I pray that they would not feel hopeless or condemned. I pray that today they would know that they can turn back toward you again and come back home and get back on the right track with you. So, Lord, take this message, seal it in our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.